stronger, braver, fearless, and not alone. Of all the words that Jane Doe writes in her shower every day, words we've been proud to publish on this podcast, not alone are the two that have stuck with me. In her column, Jane Doe wrote that while she no longer cheered, having given it up due to the abuse she endured, she realized that she had become part of a new squad, a squad of survivors standing up and speaking out against the many sins of omission and commission that they have experienced at the hands of all manner of alleged perpetrators, individual and institutional. Finding their voices hasn't been easy, but they are finding it together. They are also finding their voices grow louder and clearer when they are a part of a chorus. Watching Jane and others like her discover their voices has been the most rewarding thing I've seen come out of this nightmare. While researching the story in the aftermath of Scott Foster's death by suicide on August 22, 2022, my mind first turned to what was arguably the most infamous all-star cheerleading sexual abuse case, prior to the Rockstar cheer scandal, that is. I'm talking about the case of Jerry Harris, who was propelled into superstardom by Netflix's hit show Cheer. In July 2022, a month before Foster's suicide, Harris was sentenced to 12 years in prison for soliciting sex from minors and coaxing them into sending him obscene images and videos. More specifically though, I'm referring to Harris's teenage victims. I recently rewatched the second season of Cheer with a whole new perspective. Watching Kristen, who is the mother of the twins Harris abused, sit down in front of a camera with her boys and detail what happened to them, well, it turned this reality show about cheerleading completely upside down. I understand now just how brave and selfless it truly was, because not everyone has had a squad standing beside them. When we first began covering the Cheer Incorporated story, Kristen reached out to me via Twitter. She offered me perspective, insight, and kind words. But she offered something else, something truly selfless. She offered to speak with any survivors or parents of survivors who needed support. Kristen wanted to help them understand the unknowns of what lay ahead for them to share what her family learned going through what was likely one of the most traumatic experiences that anyone can face. She wanted to lend an ear to people who were lost and scared. When Kristen agreed to share her family's story for this podcast, I was moved beyond words because I realized that this is what a true advocate does. They continue to speak up and share their stories in the hopes that people will listen and insist upon real change, systemic change, lasting change. That's why we are in the story, to share the voices of everyone involved and impacted, and to assess and advocate as best we can for that sort of change. You are listening to Cheer Incorporated, a podcast launched by the investigative journalists at Fitz News. Cheer Incorporated is produced by Fitz News, which broke this story wide open via our coverage of the Rockstar Cheer sex abuse scandal in Greenville, South Carolina. 
Cheer Incorporated is dedicated to exposing the culture of sexual abuse, intimidation, and the ensuing cover-up within America's cheerleading industry. Our team digs deep, provides context, and shares stories, including stories like the one Kristen is about to tell you. This podcast is written, narrated, and produced by our research director and resident cheer mom, Jen Wood, by our director of special projects, Dylan Nolan, and by me, Fitz News founding editor, Will Folks. Got something you think we should know about this story? Email us at research at fitznews.com. Again, that's research at F-I-T-S-N-E-W-S dot com. What I'd like to do is get start with just a little background about you, um, the boys, um, when they started cheerleading, and um, just, I mean, I think a lot of people already know about you, but I want to give people who don't um, a, you know, a background of who you are. Okay. My sons are identical twins. Um, they, my son Sam was involved in artistic gymnastics for a number of years between the ages of like seven and about 11. Um, and eventually got to the point where he, his, his height became a liability in that sport as opposed to an advantage. And so we were looking for another sport where he could um, take advantage of his ability and interest in um, tumbling. And so that's how he ended up in all-star cheerleading. Um, because he came out of gymnastics, he immediately sort of met with success in cheerleading, um, immediately was placed on a kind of a mid-level team and um, was really valued as part of that team. Um, so his first season of cheerleading would have been, I guess, 2017. Um, and then Charlie at that time was, um, by his own admission and was not a particularly athletic kid, um, but saw really clearly through Sam's experience that cheerleading really seemed to be a um, place where they could just be 100% themselves and be part of a community that really embraced and accepted them. And so he wanted to start cheerleading um, what would have been Sam's second year um, in 2018. Um, and I remember at the time feeling just really, really impressed and, and to be honest with you, just amazed at the courage that it required for Charlie to step into the sport, knowing that he was going to be constantly compared to his identical twin and also knowing that he didn't have um, the athletic credentials that Sam had. Um, that when he first started cheerleading, he could not turn a cartwheel. Um, but he just wanted to be part of that community and part of the sport and that environment. Did so. they start cheerleading in Texas? They did, yes. And they were, um, so they were on a mid-level team at a larger gym? So we started out at a smaller gym in Central Texas. Um, when Charlie first started out, he was didn't 
initially even make a team. He was initially on sort of like a prep team. Um, and then within a few months, he was placed on a level one team. Um, Sam, I think, started out on a level three team um, and pretty quickly advanced from there. Perfect. Um, so at what point did things start? I mean, they seem like they really enjoy cheerleading. They're kind of finding their home. Mm-hmm. But to you as a mom, what at what point did you notice things changing? So I would say in 2018, I would have described my sons as being as as thriving in every way. You know, they were very academically successful. Um, they loved school. They loved learning. They were in gifted and talented classes. They were kind of in the center of a large circle of friends at school. Um, I always was so impressed by just their confidence and self-assurance. You know, my boys have never been really what I would describe as conventional kids. They've always been kind of quirky in a few different ways. And I, I, I was so proud of the fact that they moved in the world with just confidence and self-assurance despite that um, at that age. Um, but then in late 2018, um, things started to change. Um, Even before I knew about the abuse, I told several people that um, it was Christmas of 2018 that things started to change. And they changed pretty rapidly. They um, started struggling academically. They became very socially isolated. For the first time, I started hearing from them about... um, anxiety, depression, panic attacks, things like that. And then things just kind of fell apart from there. Okay. Um, and that was, at that point, they were not at the gym. They are initially cheering that class. No, at this point, they're still at the initial gym. They We were affiliated with our first gym from 2017 to 2021, early 2021. So um, we were still at our first gym. And when you noticed their behavior changing as a mom, that must have been difficult, first of all. But like, what was your first? What was your first step in addressing it? Like, like how did you open up the conversation with them? Yeah, I mean, I. I have what I would characterize as a really close relationship with my sons. You know, um, I did all of the things when they were uh, younger kids as far as like, um, you know, every year or two, I would, um, you know, get the like the developmentally appropriate books and resources about, you know, talking to them about um, sexuality, talking to them about what to do if somebody was, um, you know, touching them or treating them in a way that was inappropriate. Um, you know, we, uh, my sons have been open about the fact that they are gay for a number of years. That's always something that I was very accepting of and supportive of, and they knew that. Um, so, 
Um, you know, all of these things were open topics of conversation in our relationship and in our household. Um, but when things started to change with them academically and socially and emotionally and all these things, and I was asking about what's, what's going on, what's wrong, um, you know, I, I think they at that time kind of led me to believe that um, middle school was just was just tough um, socially for them. Um, and I, I think I could accept that, you know, um, I don't think middle school is easy socially or emotionally for even the most conventional kid. And I could understand, um, you know, living as we do in a conservative area, um, that things would be a little bit more difficult for them um, in middle school. Um, but I had a number of meetings with uh, teachers, guidance counselors, school administrators, um, trying to hone in on like what, what could be done to support them and assist them. Um, you know, I was looking for bullying at school, like I was seeking any explanation that would account for the magnitude of the change that I was noticing and really um, having a hard time finding it. Um, I pressed them on a number of occasions for like, well, maybe we need to go to talk to a therapist about what's going on and how you're feeling. And they refused at that time to do that on the grounds that you know, we had very busy schedules between school and cheerleading and Boy Scouts and that kind of thing. Um, you know, six out of seven evenings a week were dedicated to some sort of activity and they were very possessive of that one remaining um, afternoon or evening a week to be at home and to kind of chill. And so the prospect of going and having to talk to a counselor is something that they pretty staunchly refused to do. Um, and so over the course of over a year, I was observing these changes that I was concerned about and still really um, clueless about what was actually going on. Okay. And then at some point it became apparent that there was something bigger going on. Um, right. And I think I recall that it was um, through social media apps. Yeah. Um, so, so what, like what prompted you to dig a little further into that? Well, so the agreement that I've always had with my kids is that if they're going to have cell phones, that um, their cell phones are always just subject to my um, ability to take a look at them whenever I choose to do that. Um, over the years, I've um, struggled to find like apps that would enable me to monitor their activity on their phones and on social media and that kind of thing. And at least back in 2018, 2019, um, was having a hard time finding an app to enable me to do that effectively. That wasn't just like constantly making their phones crash and overheat and as they put it, you know, glitch. Um, and so in, in the absence of an app that would enable me to do that, I was just picking up their phones and, and looking through their phones on a regular basis. And so in 2020, um, I happened to do that one day and I found a, 
a thread of text messages between my son Charlie and Jerry Harris. Um, and the text that I found was Jerry saying, um, I don't think it's a good idea for us to be friends on Snapchat anymore. I'm sorry for what I've done in the past. Um, and so that was what um, kind of elicited more questions from me. I was, I was aware that they had had some acquaintance with Jerry Harris, um, but uh, you know, I was also aware that they had acquaintance with dozens and dozens and dozens of other um, cheerleaders from other gyms. You know, one of the things that they most enjoyed about all-star cheerleading was the opportunity to get to know all of these other people from all of these other gyms at competitions. And so um, that was my first indication that there was anything about this this um, acquaintance uh, with Jerry Harris that was anything other than just sort of a casual type of, um, you know, friendship that they had with many, many other cheerleaders. And did you know who Jerry was at that point? I did. I had sort of a general awareness of who he was. I mean, when I when I found that text message was shortly after the Netflix series came out. Um, so, of course, I was like everybody else in the world and being aware of who Jerry Harris was through the next Netflix series. But but I had been aware of who he was before that. I think that um, like most people in the all-star cheer world, I knew who Jerry Harris was just because he was sort of like a cheerlebrity figure. Um, my sons had really avidly followed the, um, the, I think it was called Keeping Up With The Cheetahs or something. It was, it was a YouTube channel that kind of followed uh, the team that Jerry had been on um, the previous season all throughout the season. And they had this amazing season where they went undefeated and won worlds and that sort of thing. And so um, Cheetahs was sort of their dream team at that time. And so I was aware of who Jerry was before uh, the Netflix series came out. Okay. So once you started seeing things like that that were concerning, what was like what were the first steps that you took? Well, I mean, when I first found out about um, what was going on, you know, I, 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 you know, when I found that series of text messages, there was also when I went when I scrolled back in that series of text messages, I found other communication between Charlie and Jerry. Um, specifically, there was some communication that took place between them at um, uh, Summit in 2019, where Jerry was telling Charlie that he had found a place for them to meet up and, quote, do stuff together. Um, and so I, this caused me to start asking Charlie about what, what was going on in this relationship. And the way that Charlie described it initially was that Jerry had just been sort of what he had described to me as as like creepy with him of um, sending him photos and videos, asking him to send photos and videos to him, um, trying to meet up with him at competitions, things like that. Um, but he really kind of um, uh, like minimized the significance of the issue. And he, um, he also really emphasized to me that the relationship had been 
terminated, like that they were no longer in communication with one another. And so I, I pretty readily believe that because the text message that I found was Jerry saying, like, we shouldn't be friends anymore. Um, and so I later learned that that um, severing of the relationship only lasted a matter of days. But at that time, I felt like, okay, so there, here's this adult athlete that has had this creepy interaction, creepy as my son described it, interaction with my son, who at the time was at that point 14 years old. Um, and but the relationship's over. It's no longer happening. Um, you know, had, hadn't happened to anybody else. But here is my child who is really clearly at this point, like in crisis. Um, at that point, I was very, very deeply concerned about both of my sons psychological and emotional well-being. They were really the 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 changes that I had noticed in them starting in 2018 had really kind of come to a point of crisis. And my main goal at that point was to maintain trust and communication in my relationship with my kids. And they pled with me not to um, make any sort of report about what had been happening with Jerry. Um, and so I um, felt like I had some time to sort of sort out what was going on and how to proceed because I had understood that Jerry was no longer interacting with my kids and I didn't know at the time that he was interacting with anybody else. And so at that point, I was just focused primarily on making sure that my kids were okay, which at that point was a pretty open question in my mind. Um, but I definitely was very much like, um, you know, pressing them for information, seeking um, to understand more what had been going on, trying my very best to help them. And then along it almost simultaneously, um, the uh, the pandemic started. And so. Um, that certainly complicated everything. All of a sudden, it became impossible to, um, you know, get a, a kid seen by a psychologist or a physician or um, anything like that. And so because at that point, I had sort of made the assumption that um, that the this anxiety, this depression, all this stuff that the boys were dealing with was primarily tied to their experience at school. In a sense, I almost hoped that the lockdown would be an opportunity for them to to heal and to get better. Um, and that uh, definitely did not happen. Okay. When you decided that you wanted to report it to the FBI, what was that like? What prompted you to make that decision and what was that process like? So um, the the event that, that, you know, kind of complicated the situation um, is that in um, in May of 2020, at that point, my sons had literally like basically hardly left the house for about six weeks. Um they were really isolated. They were having a really hard time. They were really lonely. Um, I was very concerned about them. 
and they were invited to go and spend a weekend with a friend of theirs that they had met. Um, she went to a different gym, um, but she's somebody that they had met a couple years earlier at a cheerleading competition. Over the course of a couple of years, my husband and I had, we felt we had gotten to know her parents at cheer competitions, you know, sharing meals with them and things like that. So the boys were invited to go and spend a few days at her house, just kind of, you know, baking cookies and watching movies and making TikToks and things like that, just getting a change of scenery. Um, I, I talked to her mom about like, you know, got, got some reassurance that they had been kind of locked down to a similar extent as we had been. And so we, we sort of felt like it was an opportunity to kind of like expand, slightly expand their quarantine bubble and have them get a little bit of a change of scenery. Um, so we agreed to allow them to go and spend a few days with this friend. And um, I later learned that while they were there, um, the friend's parents had a party, um, invited a number of, of people to the party, um, served the adults as well as my two kids um, who were at the party a lot of alcohol. Um, and while my sons were there, they were um, sexually assaulted by a um, another cheerleading coach, a coach that was affiliated with their friend's gym. Um, and so that certainly compounded an already extremely difficult situation. Okay. Um, so at that point, that's when you decided that it was time to get authorities. Right. Involved. And so I, I think that, um, that the gym owners of the that had employed the coach that assaulted the boys at the party, they did everything right. Um, as soon as they found out about the assault, um, they reached out to me. Um, they um, were very diligent about. Um, sort of consulting with me and supporting me as our family was in the process of making a decision about making reports to authorities and that type of thing. They um, immediately fired the coach. Um, I, I was really, really impressed with, especially in retrospect, now that I see the contrast between the way they handled the situation and way um, a number of the other other gyms involved in similar situations have handled things. I was really impressed with the way that they handled things. But um, at this point, my kids are a total basket case. Um, like I say, things had gone from bad to worse. The last thing that they wanted to do was have anything to do with making um, reports to police or anything else. They like never wanted to talk about either of these situations ever again. Um, but because at that point I felt like um, what happened with this coach, um, you know, obviously is it, it, it very similar to what had happened with Jerry Harris. And in the course of conversations within our family, um, within those few days surrounding that sexual assault, um, 
um, the boys disclosed to me that they had heard that that Jerry had been doing similar things to other boys. And so at that point, I felt like, you know, I, I, I didn't have any choice but to start making reports. And so um, it was very clear to me how I needed to go about making a police report related to the assault that took place at the party. Um, you know, I, I reached out to, uh, you know, county police department and, and filed a report. Um, it was much, much less clear to me how to go about reporting the situation with Jerry Harris, because at that point, I thought that all of the, the stuff that had happened between my sons and Jerry Harris had taken place via social media. Um, as it turns out, that was not the case, but I did not learn that until later. Um, so I wasn't sure how you, like, who do you report it to when um, your child has been subjected to this kind of exploitation via social media? Like, I knew from the um, Netflix show that there was like this, you know, there was one of the episodes on the Netflix show where they are ha they had a meeting with the chief of police in Corsicana, Texas, and he he expressed all this support for the Navarra Cheer pro Program, and like so, I didn't know if that law enforcement agency would be receptive to a report from me. I didn't know if I was supposed to like contact my local law enforcement. I really wasn't sure quite how to proceed with involving law enforcement in that situation and so one of the first places that or actually the first place that I reached out to about the Jerry Harris stuff was to the owner of the all-star gym that um, Jerry was affiliated with at that time and um, her initial response to my contacting her I I, I shared some um, screenshots of some communication that I had found on um, both of my son's phones with her um, between them and Jerry Harris. Um, I described some other things that I found on their phones to her. She was very skeptical about what I was telling her. She told me that they had had problems to that point with um, uh, people quote in, like impersonating some of their high profile athletes and so she really I think believed initially that um, that this was some sort of um, like hoax or kind of like a fake situation um, eventually I ended up sharing with her the contact that I had from my son's phones um, for Jerry Harris and she she realized that the telephone number that this communication was coming from matched up with the telephone number that she had in her records. I think at that point she started being a little bit more um, taking what I was telling her a little bit more seriously. Um, but um, you know, from there I I had gone to the USASF website. And at that point, um, back in 2020, along the top menu bar of the USASF website, one of the options said safe sport. And so I had some familiarity with what the US Center for Safe Sport was. I had had some awareness of what had happened with the gymnasts and Larry Nasser and some of the things that came out of that. And so U.S. Center for Safe Sport was something that 
um, I was aware of. I actually went to the U.S. Center for Safe Sports website. I looked through their FAQ and some of their other information in some degree of detail and came away from that feeling like, um, number one, feeling, believing that if I made a report through the USASF website, that I was making a report to the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, number one. And number two, from having looked at the U.S. Center for Safe Sports website, I thought that they would help to facilitate um, like the necessary law enforcement reports, that there would be experts there who would, would, would know who, what agency we needed to report this to and would be able to help me in that process. Um, and so that is the reason why I decided to make a report through the USASF website. Okay. Um, when you made that report, was that before before the USA Today story came out? Were they were detailing the process? Um, uh, yes. So this okay. was so I made that report in May of 2020. Um, and at that point in time, again, uh, you know, all I was aware of was the social media interaction that had happened between my sons and Jerry Harris. And so with that report, I provided some, again, some screenshots of that interaction, as well as kind of a, um, like a narrative description of what my boys had told me. Um, so at that point, I knew that the, um, that the interaction had started in 2018 when my sons had just turned 13 years old um, and had extended through April of 2020. So um, when, um, uh, you know, Jerry had temporarily severed that relationship. Um, but again, like, uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, um, almost immediately picked the relationship back up again and then persisted with it for another couple of months. So um, I described all of that in my report on the USASF website. Um, and then um, I felt like, okay, so like I've, I've filed this report, I've set this ball into motion. Um, now there are gonna be these experts from the US Center for Safe Sport who are gonna be helping me, are gonna be facilitating this process, are gonna be telling me what I need to do next. And so I then just turned my attention back to taking care of my kids who at that point were in crisis. Um, we were focused at that point on going through all of the law enforcement process associated with the sexual assault that had taken place at the party, um, which entailed forensic interviews, forensic medical exams, um, which really unfortunately both of those processes were um, really just kind of compounded the trauma that they had already experienced and they were really having a hard time. So my focus at that point was just strictly on making sure that my kids were okay. Um, and of course we as a family continued to have conversations about what had happened. Um, eventually after a couple of months, um, my sons started to disclose to me that in addition to the uh, social media harassment and exploitation that they had experienced, 
that there had actually been, um, you know, kind of contact offenses that had taken place with Jerry Harris, um, including an incident at ACA 2019 where Jerry cornered one of my boys in a public restroom and um, and and you know trapped him in the restroom over the course of of you know 10 or 15 minutes and really very very persistently um, tried to persuade him nearly to the point of forcing him to um, have sex and so I really felt like that was a new and really important dimension of what had happened. And so I went back to the USASF website and filed an additional report on the USASF website. In that second report, I mentioned my first report. I mentioned the screenshots that I had provided with my first report um, because at that point, I believed that that somebody had been like busily working in the background um, to investigate what I had already reported. It had been um, it been like eight or nine weeks since my initial report at that point. So I I was of the belief that things were well underway, and because of the nature of what we had reported, I could sort of understand that maybe there wouldn't be a ton of information provided to me about that investigation um and so uh, you know i i wasn't necessarily i was a little, i was concerned but i wasn't necessarily really surprised that i hadn't gotten a ton of feedback from them um but after i filed that second report i got an email um from a- amy clark at usasf and she asked me in that email if I could please send her the screenshots that I had mentioned in the second report. And that was the first point at which I started kind of scratching my head and wondering what had been going on for the previous nine weeks. Because in that initial email, she made it sort of sound like she she really didn't know what I was talking about. And she didn't realize that she was already in possession of those screenshots. Um And then shortly after that, she contacted me via email again. And she said, okay, I found the screenshots. Like, can we have a phone call tomorrow? I want to talk to you about this. And I I readily agreed. Um, And so we set a time for a phone call the next day. Um, And then the next day, I received a phone call from a number that I didn't recognize. I picked up the phone and it was somebody from Child Protective Services um, in our area. And she was wanting to schedule a time to come and make a home visit and basically check on the well-being of my kids, Um, which I was sort of, I was surprised to be hearing from CPS, but I was like, I I had no reason to not Uh, be willing to have them come and check on my kids. But the thing that was confusing to me is that the, um, the person from CPS told me that they had received a report. um, And I asked uh, for some more information about the report that they had received. And what she told me was this totally garbled account of basically the, the incidents with Jerry Harris and the incidents with the coach from the party um, all kind of, you know, 
mixed up together. And um, she was of the understanding that um, that there was just a single perpetrator and that this had taken place at our local gym. And basically, bottom line is that she was just the details that she were was describing to me were really confused. And so um, that was the second point at which I was like, okay, wait a second, what is going on here? Because I suspected at that point that USASF had been the ones that had reached out to CPS and made this report. And the fact that these details were so completely confused um, made me very concerned because, again, I had spent the previous two months believing that somebody was in the process of checking into this situation and like aggressively advocating for my kids and aggressively working toward making sure that this was, um, you know, that this was stopped. And as it turns out, um, even the most basic details that had been conveyed to CPS were um, confused. So later that same day, I had my phone call with Amy Clark. Um, she was very quick to um, tell me that, you know, we, we, just, we all just need to be patient because we have experts who are doing their jobs um, investigating this case and we need to make sure to stay out of their way. Um, and I, really, she spent a bunch of time in that phone call. I, I feel, especially in retrospect, sort of trying to finesse me into believing that um, her organization had been actively working on the case. Um, but a lot of what she was telling me just didn't add up. Um, I, I went into that conversation with Amy Clark um, ready to cooperate with USASF, um, having no reason to believe that they were anything other than a legitimate organization um, that was, you know, doing their job. I was deeply distressed, of course, about what had happened to my sons, but I felt like maybe I could um, help USASF to make sure that this didn't happen to other kids. Um, and so I went into that conversation really seeking to cooperate with them and um, really giving them the benefit of the doubt um, and came out of that conversation having some uh, serious questions about um, their what they had been doing for the previous nine weeks and whether or not they were going to be capable of doing what needed to be done in order to uh, put a stop to Jerry Harris. Um, it also became evident to me in that conversation that um, my belief that I had reported to the U.S. Center for Safe Sport um, was in error, um, that there hadn't been... Um, you know, a law enforcement agency involved, which was really upsetting to me. I thought that this had been reported to law enforcement. And so that same day I called and I made a report to the um, local law enforcement in Tarrant County, Texas, um, which is where the um, ACA takes place in Fort Worth, Texas. And so that is a law enforcement agency that was local to that um, incident that took place in the back in the bathroom at 
ACA. Um, so over the course of the next month, I made uh, a dozen phone calls to um, Tarrant County PD, various people in the Tarrant County Police Department, um, and had a very difficult time getting anybody to respond to me. Um, I left a whole bunch of voicemails. I spoke to a number of people. Uh, at this point, I, you know, I, I, um, I never even really heard back from a detective who took a thorough police report from me. Um, and eventually, after making a dozen phone calls to that local law enforcement agency, I was told that what I needed to do um, was to make a report to uh, law enforcement agencies in every jurisdiction where my sons were when they had any of this social media interaction with Jerry, which um, <laughs> it was seemed like an impossible task um, because it would have been six or seven different agencies that I would have to involve at that point. And, and I was starting to sort of um, get really, really discouraged at the fact that I wasn't getting any response from Tarrant County, despite the fact that I was expressing a lot of urgency each time I reached out to somebody. I was telling them that this is a celebrity perpetrator. This is a person who has ongoing contact with children. This is some, a person that, that we believe to have had a number of other victims. And I really, really need to talk to somebody who can help me put a stop to this. And basically, despite that, I still wasn't even getting return phone calls. So... Um, the other thing that happened around that time is that sort of through the grapevine, I heard that there had been some conversation about my son within leadership at Varsity Spirit. Um, and, you know, the, about the fact specifically that my sons had been victims in two separate instances of abuse. And so I reached out to one of the VPs at Varsity via email. And again, at this point, my attitude is still one of like seeking to cooperate with these organizations and to help and um, to work together to solve this problem. But I said in my email, I just wanted to let you know who I am. I wanted to let you know that I'm the parent of these two boys. And I want to let you know that if if people in your organization are having conversations about my sons and their situation, that I want to be involved in those conversations. Um, and so he responded quite quickly and told me that, um, that they wanted me to have a conversation with a team of attorneys and tell them about what had happened to my kids. Um, and so again, looking to cooperate, looking to help, I agreed to do that. Um, I, I forget exactly how long it was. It was probably a week or so between that email that I exchanged with the varsity VP and when they um, connected me with this team of attorneys. Uh, the woman who was in charge of, of that is um, actually the former uh, attorney general of the state of Illinois. And so... Um, you know, this was a high-powered group of attorneys that 
varsity had um, hired, I guess, to look into this situation. I inquired with them via email about like, so what's the purpose of this conversation that we're supposed to have with one another? And they described it as uh, the goal was to safeguard athletes in the sport. And they wanted to learn from me about what had happened to my kids. And so they could help to prevent it from happening again. And so I was on board with that goal. Um, and so I agreed to participate in that conversation. So um, I, there was a, it was in July of 2020 that I had over an hour long phone call with uh, that team of, I believe it was three attorneys. And in that conversation, I told them everything that I knew at that point about uh, both the situation with Jerry Harris, as well as um, with the coach who had assaulted my son at the party, sons at the party. Um, and then again, nothing happened. You know, at this point, Jerry is still, um, his star is like rapidly rising at this point. He's getting more and more endorsement deals. Um, at that point, there was kind of some s rumor about he was going to be on Dancing with the Stars. He was being featured in all of these um, mainstream media publications, being described as like this icon. Um, you know, he conducted this interview with Joe Biden. Um, you know, he he his celebrity he had gone from being a cheer celebrity to being a you know fully fledged celebrity and i was not seeing any indication that anybody was putting any kind of stop to him and so i was feeling really at that point frantic about doing something to safeguard um other boys that he was coming into contact with and so Eventually, I was given the advice that I ought to, uh, by a friend, um, given the advice by a friend that I ought to reach out to the FBI, um, that they, the FBI is the agency that has jurisdiction over things that take place via social media. And so I went to the FBI.gov website and um, made a report there about Jerry Harris and uh, that was on a Friday, and uh, by Monday, they had an agent in touch with me. But um, earlier in the month of July, I had been put into contact with uh, Marissa uh, Kwiatkowski at USA Today um, and told that USA Today was in the process of doing some investigative work about all-star cheerleading. Um, during the summer of 2020, I had watched Athlete A on Netflix, and so I had some familiarity um, with that case and with Marissa's work. And um, because of the sense of urgency that I had about putting a stop to Jerry and because of the fact that to that point, I had not been seeing any results from my efforts to make things happen with USASF, with Varsity, with Tarrant County Police. Um, I felt like maybe the press could help me in my goal of making sure that he was stopped. And so 
um, the boys and I agreed to tell our story to USA Today. I'm, I'm kind of speechless. I'm still thinking about all those. I'm asking you to report to all the different jurisdictions and uh-huh. how overwhelming that was. Yeah. <laughs> I go, like, cow, like, really? <laughs> um, okay. Do you, looking back at it and seeing, especially the case that was filed in Tennessee, um, the delay from that initial report that you made on him by USASF and contacting you, does that bother? Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we now know that, um, you know, the, the HBO real sports with Bryant Gumball was, uh, interviewed, uh, Ginger Wilzak, who was at the time I made my reports in 2020, she was working for USASF. She was supposedly in charge of um, receiving and processing and responding to allegations of sexual abuse in the sport. Um, so we now know from what she says that she was basically told to stand down when um, my report was received by USASF. She was told by leadership at USASF that somebody else would handle this report, that she didn't need to worry about that report. Um, and so, um, yeah, knowing that in retrospect that my sons and I spent that entire summer, um, I, I reported that information to USASF against my son's wishes. Um, the notion that we were making these reports was contributed to the very severe stress that my sons were experiencing that summer. Um, But I explained to them that we needed to do this in order to make sure that other athletes stayed safe. Um, And that that by making these reports, we were um, enabling experts and authorities in order to make sure that other kids stayed safe. And to, to, so to think that, that that entire summer we thought something was happening and in fact nothing was happening um, is deeply, deeply upsetting to me. Yeah. When you read the Tennessee suit, were you... Yeah, I, for lack of a better word, pissed when you saw that the same thing happened to that mom? Oh, yeah, I was. But I was also not surprised. You know, at this point, having um, kind of um, ate, slept, and breathed um, sexual abuse and all-star cheerleading for the past two-plus years now, um, you know, I've gotten, um, you know, really well-informed about the dynamics in this sport and my sons in particular have received an awful lot of um, other athletes who have reached out to them over the past couple of years to um, and told them that they've had similar experiences Um, and so um, the reports that are coming out right now 
are uh, definitely not surprising to me. Okay. Do you think, um, do you think with the number of lawsuits being filed now civilly, do you think that there's going to be any changes made? Are you hopeful or are you just where you think it's going to be same old well, I mean, I think by nature, I am a um, hopeful, per- uh, hopeful person. Um, and so I am hopeful. Um, we have very um, recently settled our civil suit. Um, the defendants in our civil suit are um, USASF, Varsity Spirit, Cheer Athletics, and then the one of the co-owners at Cheer Athletics, the woman that I reported to um, first thing. Um, so we have settled that suit, and um, I think that that settlement really is a landmark. Um, that settlement, it you know, it puts Varsity USASF and gym owners on notice that they have an obligation to protect athletes from sexual abuse. And if they fail to do that, then there may be really huge consequences. Um, and so I, I'm definitely hopeful that things are gonna change, but there is an awful lot that needs to change about um, the not just the structure of the sport, not just the organizations and their policies, um, but more than that, just the culture and the sport needs needs dramatic change in order for athletes, in fact, to be safe. One of the things that I've heard over and over again from the current survivors that are going through this now is that it's been easier because there's been, it's more than one. You know, it's like they, they feel safer that there's a chorus of voices and the same names keep coming up. And I always think about you and your voice um, and how brave and how difficult it must have been standing alone against somebody as well-known as Jerry. Um, and I think, you know, well, the people involved in the industry you know, most people that are heavily involved in the industry knew that this was a pervasive problem, but to the public, it, 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 it wasn't. And I don't know that it still is. Right. Um, do you have advice for people that are going through this now? Well, I mean, just to, to respond to the first part of your question about having gone through it alone. Um, we have felt, I would say very, very acutely over the past two plus years, um, the fact that we were going through this alone. To be very honest with you, when part of the reason that we chose to speak as publicly as we did is because we knew that this was happening um, to other people and with other perpetrators. And we hoped to sort of pave a path for 
people to speak up. Um, and we expected that after we reported that there would be other people that would come forward and report as well. And instead we've sort of been out at the tip of the spear all by ourselves um, for a couple of years now, which has been really, really difficult. There have been a number of people that have been very, very supportive of us. And there have been people who have been vocally supportive of us. Um, there have also been an awful lot of people that have opposed our efforts. There have been an awful lot of people that have been extremely cruel to my sons, um, both um, adults as well as other athletes. Um, the extent of the um, just isolation and um, the extent to which my sons were ostracized, um, especially in the immediate aftermath of our speaking up, um, was pretty stunning. Um, and really made their existing trauma all that much worse. And so I, um, I'm happy for the survivors who are speaking out now to be able to be doing it, like you say, as part of a chorus of voices, because um, we were singing a, a solo for a long time and it was really tough. Um, I suppose the advice that I would have for maybe people who are um, thinking about speaking up is that now is the time to do it. There is, I think we're on the verge of the critical mass that is required to make change happen, but we need as many voices to be a part of that course as possible in order to force the change that is necessary. Not alone, at least not anymore. I continue to be inspired by Kristen and her son's willingness to be the first to loudly and clearly say this is wrong and this has to stop. They fought the fight that still lies ahead of the survivors who have come forward in recent months. The lessons Kristen's family have taken from their experience and shared with the world will prove invaluable to the rising chorus of voices now demanding that the culture of sexual exploitation and cheerleading is permanently eradicated. In next week's episode, you'll hear the rest of my conversation with Kristen, which will delve deeper into her experiences and what she's learned as she's attempted to change this sport.